It's really good to be among you again. When I was thinking what I should maybe speak about, I thought I'd cracked it. Because when you're ill, and I wasn't so ill, but when you're ill, you begin to think of things that will happen when you die. And I have a great hope that when I die, I'm going to be with Jesus. Are you with me or not? So that when you die, do you all know that you're going to be with Jesus? Oh, come on. Do you know that you're going to be with Jesus? And I thought that that's what I was going to speak on today. I was convinced that this was a word. And I realized that the word for me, and maybe not for you at this time. Maybe if you invite me back, actually, we could think about that. But I was read to the word that I've got for you now. And I don't make any excuses for it. I hope that I'm faithful in what I do. If Jesus walked through that door just now, and he came up to you, what do you think that he would say to you? Well, I'm sure he would say many things to each of us, but I'm convinced he would ask each of us this one question. How are you doing? Are you doing okay? How are you doing? Because one thing I know about Jesus is that he cares for us. And he wants the very best for us. And that's the question that we're going to ask today. How are you doing? Are you doing okay? Or maybe... Just maybe, we need to think and look at how we really are doing. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you that you are right here amongst us. That you are a God who has promised that where two or three are gathered in your name, that you're right here in the midst. And Lord, we want to take time to ask you to help us to open our hearts and our minds as we look at your word. Help us, Lord, by the strength of your Holy Spirit to be honest with ourselves and with you. Lord, we know that you want the very best for us. And we know, Lord, that the very best is found in your word. And so, Lord, we pray that you would give us ears to listen That you would give us hearts that have a desire to serve and to see your word work through in our lives. And that, Father, that you would give us again that spirit that would seek to glorify you in all that we do. And so, Lord, we ask for your help now in Jesus' name. If I want to qualify for welfare, I have to admit that I'm poor and needy. If I have to qualify for bankruptcy, then I have to admit that I'm broke, that I don't have any money. For me to be admitted into hospital, I have to admit that I'm sick and needing a doctor. And if I want to go to heaven, I have to admit that I am I'm hell bound. 
And it would seem mankind in general is willing to admit to the first three. But when it comes to the fourth one, to admit that you and I need help spiritually, mankind in general find it difficult to ask for help in that area. I can remember the first time I came to the Lord Jesus Christ. The time that I accepted Him into my life. My life was very ordinary. Really didn't have much to look forward to. And then when I accepted Christ, my life changed. It changed completely. It changed utterly. It changed for the better. And I was able to look forward in life. I had a hope. Things were good for me. And I'm sure as I look around that most of you would be able to follow what I have said. You remember the time when you accepted the Lord into your life. And your life did change and it did change for the better. But since then, for me, and I'm sure for you, a lot of water has passed under the bridge. And it's then that maybe, just maybe, like me, you grow a little bit sure of yourself. You grow a little bit familiar with the life that you're living and in a very subtle way because the devil is our enemy and he's seeking to pull each and every one of us down. Very subtly the devil brings the old ways back into our life. They slowly creep in. So much so that for many of us we're not even aware that they're there. And because God is such a great and wonderful God, sometimes He brings us to the point where we are reminded of who we are and who we belong to. That God reminds us that by His grace we have been saved and it was through Him and not because we learned to swim. And sometimes we need to go back and just look at our lives and be reminded that God is the verb. He is the doing. And we are the noun. We are the receiving. We need to go back from time to time and examine ourselves and see how we are doing. One of the things that I've learned over these few months when I was in hospital twice is, boy, they love to examine you in hospital. In the morning someone will come and in the afternoon someone will come and at night and they examine you and they ask all the same questions. And I thought, what's happening here? And I realized that they were doing it because they wanted to find out if there was anything wrong with me, that these questions were necessary. I needed to be examined. And by God's grace, this afternoon, this, this morning, by God's grace, you and I are going to give God the Holy Spirit permission to come into our lives 
and examine us. Challenge us of where we are right now in our life to see if there's anything that we need to be doing. So let's turn to God's Word, if you have your Bibles. And we're going to be reading from Colossians. Colossians chapter 3. It's got a good heading in my Bible. It's called Rules for Holy Living. And that's what we're going to be looking at. So here's God's word to us. And I say wherever I go, this is the most important part in the service. This is God's word being spoken. So let's open our ears to hear it. Since then you have been raised with Christ. Set your heart on things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above, not on earthly things. For you died and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is yours, appeared, then you also appeared with him in glory. Put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desire, and greed, which is idolatry. Because of these, the wrath of God is coming. You used to walk in these ways in the life you once lived, but now you must rid yourself of all these things. Anger, rage, malice, slander, filthy language from your lips. Do not lie to each other, since you have taken off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in the knowledge in the image of its creator. Here there is no Greek or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave or free, but Christ is all and in all. Therefore as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourself with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness and patience. Bear with each other and forgive whatever grievance you may have against one another. Forgive as the Lord forgives you. And over all these virtues put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, since as members of one body you are called to peace. Be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly as you teach, admonish one another with all wisdom and as you sing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with gratitude in your heart to God. And whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, giving thanks to God the Father through him and we'll pray that God will bless that word to us here Paul is challenging us to examine ourselves he's reminding us of who we are and he's reminding us of the way that God desires for us to live and he's very practical here when you take time to think about it he makes it easy for us He said, listen, the answer is simple. You take off and you put on. Why? 
You take off and you put on because you need to be reminded again and again of who you are. And he tells us who we are. We are seated with Christ in the heavenlies. That is our standing. Someone once said, life is what you are alive to. What is it that gets you excited? What is it that causes your heart to to beat faster? What is it that brings a smile to your lips and causes you just to become alive? I have a project and my project is I get to know my next door neighbour really well. Because I want to continue to share with him the gospel. And so I go in often and we have a cup of tea and he's taken me now to uh, the the racetrack and motorbikes. I'm not really into it, but I go with him uh, because it's, it's a way of getting to know him. But one thing that really brings him alive is this. He loves model trains. And usually in our conversation, the model train comes up and I can see him changing before my eyes. He gets excited about it. We went to see the Flying Scotsman recently and he was like a a, a little child. He was so excited. It just brought him alive. The Bible says, where your heart is, there is your treasure also. What is it that gets you excited? What is it that gets you up in the morning? You see, when I became a Christian, first of all, boy, was I was out in the streets. I can remember being taken to the mound in Edinburgh and standing up in the open air giving my testimony. These days are gone now, and I hope in the past they won't remain. I want to be like that. But why am I not like that now? Is it because I've grown up, I've grown mature, or is it that there are things in my life that are clogging my life up, that are stopping me, causing me to forget? What should bring me alive is my life in Christ. And sometimes I realize it's because the old ways have come back. Someone has said about politics that in politics you need to remember where you sit. Where you sit in politics will dictate where you stand. And if you look at our House of Commons and you're looking from the Speaker's point of view, on the right, who sits there but the government? And where they sit dictates actually where they stand and what they believe in. If you look at the left, you'll see the opposition. They sit in opposition and that dictates the type of life and the things that they stand for and the things that I hope get them excited so where do you and I sit? well Paul tells us that we sit at the right hand of God with Christ we are in the heavenlies we are privileged people we have that privileged place and that should dictate how we stand in this life Now we could stop there, and it might do us some good, but Paul says, no, we're not going to stop there. Led by God the Holy Spirit, he said, I'm going to show you 
things that are in your life that shouldn't be in your life and things that are in your life that should be. And he says we're going to start with the things that are in people's life that shouldn't be there. And Paul is brutal here. Absolutely brutally said the things that I'm going to point out there is no negotiation with this. Put them to death. Kill them. Rid yourselves of them. Do not think you can live with them. It's a fallacy. We need to recognize that some things for us who have been raised with Christ do not belong in our lives. And I can only speak for myself when I say that sometimes these things creep in. And so we need to ask the question about these things. Do we recognize these things that we're going to mention now and simply and utterly and ruthlessly put them to death? Throw them out. Don't give them room. Rid yourselves of them. That's what Paul is saying. This is not my word. This is the word of God. Graham right at the beginning mentioned that we need to be people of the words. Don't take my word for it. Go back to Colossians 3. Read it. If I'm telling a lot of rubbish, forget it. If the truth is there, then you need to take it in. In the early church, when a person was going through the waters of baptism, they would come with their normal clothes on, and they would come to the side of the pool. Their normal clothes would be taken off, taken aside, and burned, got rid of, never to be seen again. They would go into the water and as they come up, they would be given a new robe, a new set of clothes to wear. And usually it was something white to signify the purity of new life that they were entering. And that's a picture that Paul has here. That there are things in our life that we need to get rid of, burn, have nothing to do with, take them off, and then begin to put on these graces that he talks about. That make us beautiful people in the Lord. (coughs) So let's look and see what Paul is talking about. And see maybe, just maybe, That God is speaking to us. Paul talks about... Let me just ask a question first. Will you give God the Holy Spirit permission to challenge you on this? Now only you can answer that question. Because sometimes we can hear God's word and we can say, that's for me, and we're not willing to do anything about it. But there are things in our life, in all of our lives, none of us are exempt, that we need to get rid of. They're in the way of God. So let's look at the things that Paul, and he makes it very plain, and you might be thinking, oh, this has nothing to do with me. Let God, the Holy Spirit, answer that for you. Self-gratification, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desire and greed which is idolatry if there are any of these things in your life 
They are taking place of what God should, where God should be. They're pushing God to one side. And let me tell you something. That these things that I have mentioned, and we're going to mention a few more, will never ever satisfy us. They will always demand more from us. And we need to rid ourselves of them. And then Paul goes on to mention more. And these are things that mostly to do with um, speaking now. Anger. Rage. Malice. Slander. Filthy language. Telling lies. Are you listening? It's God the Holy Spirit speaking. We have a tongue. And I think it's a beautiful gift. If used. The way that God would desire. I can wake up in the morning. And I can say to my wife. I love you. And I hope that that encourages her. Because I do. I can say some wonderful things as I read scripture to people. But the reverse side is my tongue can cut a person in two. My tongue can be used for evil also. And Paul says that these things that I've just read, mostly to do with the tongues and the way that we thought, get rid of them. Now here is the problem. And, well here's the problem. Sometimes we're willing to get rid of things. But we put nothing in their place. We never replace them. Remember Jesus told the parable of the woman who had an evil spirit. And she got the broom and she swept her house clean. And then she left it. She didn't replace anything. And ten more evil spirits came in and it was worse than it ever was. And if you begin to take and get rid of these things from your life that maybe God has challenged you to do, you need to be willing to replace them with godly things so that you're not naked, so that you're not open to more attack. So Paul has challenged us, first of all, to get rid of things. And then he says this, Now as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourself. That's God's word, that's not my word. That's the challenge now. Once we get rid of these things, and there might not be anything you need to get rid of, but you might need to clothe yourself. He said, clothe yourself. Put on the new. Get rid of the old. And he mentions these graces. I call them graces. They're beautiful pieces of clothing. They'll make you shine. They'll cause you to stand out. They'll cause people to sit up and take notice of who you are. Because you are putting on these things. And again, we'll just go through them, just briefly, because I challenge you to put them on. And then maybe one day you can go through them one by one, and just to see what a great God we have, that he gives us those things to wear. 
And so the challenge is this. First put on what? Compassion. Compassion. And the Greek word it means heartfelt emotion. In other translations it's put down as tender mercies. When was the last time that you actually took compassion and clothed yourself with it? Tender mercies. And you might think, well I'm not very sure how compassion or tender mercies might work in my life. Well it's a reminder, a very stark reminder how God has treated me and treated you. He has treated us with tender mercy. And that's how we should treat others. Look at me this morning. How do I want you to treat me? I don't know you very well. But how do I want you to treat me? I want you to treat me with compassion. With tender mercy. With the way God treated you and I when we came to Him. Now I could (coughs) have a sermon on compassion. But we won't. We'll move on. And then Paul says put on kindness. And it's because of God's great kindness to us in Christ that I am what I am and you are what you are. What are you? You're a son. You're a daughter of the living God. That's the amen. Isn't that great? We're sons. We're daughters of the living God. Amen. That's who we are. That's why we're seated with Christ in the heavenlies. And Paul says put on kindness. So what is kindness that you put it on? There's a lovely story in the scriptures about David. And you know David for a lot of his life was an outlaw. He was chased by King Saul and his family. And part of King Saul's family was a, a guy called Mephibosheth. Oh, well, I pronounce that and my false teeth don't jump out at you. Mephibosheth. Now Mephibosheth, when he was young... His nurse, because she was fleeing, picked him up hurriedly and dropped him. And he landed on his two legs and he was crippled for the rest of his life. And during Paul's outlaw days, Mephibosheth was very, very cruel to David and gave him a really hard time. And when Saul was defeated... Mephibosheth ran away. He was scared that David, as was David's right, to come and punish him. And read the story in the Bible. It's probably David sends two people to find Mephibosheth. He's in this backward place. It's a terrible dry place. And he says, bring him to me. And Mephibosheth stands before David thinking he's going to be condemned to death. And David says, welcome to my table. That is where you'll be seated for the rest of your life. He was a condemned man. And yet, because of kindness, he was accepted to the king's table. I was a condemned man. I was going to hell. And the king accepted me to his table in the Lord Jesus Christ. Put on Kindness. And then we have this other one, humbleness. 
Humbleness is a very difficult one to come to terms with because like in Paul's days, so in our day, humbleness was looked on as weakness. It wasn't something that you would desire. It wasn't something that you would put on. Yet let me tell you and give you a description of our Lord Jesus Christ. And it says this, He humbled Himself and became obedient even to death on a cross. The true humility that Christ wants us to put on is a humility that will give us the strength to, to put others before ourselves. Now I'm halfway through this and I'm thinking, hey, this is hard, Lord. What's going to happen? How am I going to do it? And God is reminding me right now and saying, Robert, you don't have to do it. It's by my spirit that you'll do it. So don't be worried. Be glad that you have these lovely graces to put on humbleness. And then we're urged to put on gentleness. And this is a word that's a bit of a paradox because it actually means great strength under control. It sometimes describes a soothing wind or a healing medicine or a horse that's been tamed. In each, there's great power. But a gentle wind can become a storm. Too much medicine can kill. A horse can easily break free. But the meek person or the gentle person, listen to this, this is great, has everything in control. He or she is able to control things. Why? Because they are controlled by Christ. I think that's good. That's the one I want. Because being controlled by Christ has given me great confidence. I'm aware of my time, so we'll push on. And then we have patience. You know what they say, patience is very seldom found in a man, but never in a woman. But <laughs> patience, it means actually long-suffering. The words mean to have a long temper and not a short fuse. It's a gift of being able to suffer fools gladly. I'm told. Patience. It's a great thing. If it wasn't for the patience of God, where would I be today? God has great patience with me. I must drive him scatty sometimes. But he has patience with me because he's working on me, shaping me, molding me, making me into the person that he wants me to be. And then we have forbearance. I think this is one probably we can all, um, you know, wire into. It's to bear with each other. It means to hold each other up. Um, and, and I think when I come to this fellowship, that you're a lovely example of the way that you gather around and help each other. I've always found this here, that you're a great fellowship, and I encourage you. And thank you for the, uh, the encouragement I have that you do it. And you will never know that people out there know that you do it. 
And they're spoken to by it. It's a perfect picture of how God treats us. And then we come to the last one. Forgiveness. Who prayed this morning that we would know how to forgive? I remember reading a little phrase that says this. The Christian forgives because he never forgets that he is forgiven. And a person who is forgiven must always be forgiving. (laughs) When I was in Turkey, I was in Turkey with OM. There was a couple that lived right in the north of the country. And they had a little bookshop. And it was going quite well until one night, three men broke into the bookshop, killed the man, and left the wife with three young children. And it was terrible. And everybody wondered why and what good would ever come of this forgiveness. Two months later, after it happened, a local television channel interviewed the wife and asked why are you staying in this country when such a disaster happened to you and this was the wife's reply because I forgive these people who did it and I want to show God's love to them every time I think of it it brings a tear to my eye that is forgiveness and that's what God desires for us that we forgive each other and this is not conditional this isn't to say I'll forgive you if you forgive me it's nothing like that God says forgive full stop whether the person forgives you or not it doesn't come into the equation forgive this is a lovely grace that speaks loads to people who are there watching that the Christian is a forgiving person demanding nothing back now as I said before it's difficult we've taken off these things and now we need to put them on so I'd like you just to close your eyes for a minute please And I just want to read these graces. And if you feel that God the Holy Spirit is speaking, just put them on. And remember this, that it won't happen all of a sudden. That today can be the beginning of a process, the beginning of a first step. That we see ourselves closed in these lovely graces. Put on compassion and kindness and humbleness and gentleness and patience and forbearance and forgiveness. This is the part where we have to be proactive. Let's be quiet for a minute and let God the Holy Spirit speak. Lord, help us not only to be hearers, but help us to be doers also. In Jesus' name. Amen.